Well, good morning and welcome to Bridgewater. If I've not gotten a chance to meet you yet, my name is Tim and I'm one of the pastors here. And we are so excited that you are here this morning. I want to show you a picture. Here is uh, Beckett Cook. You might not be familiar with Beckett because he spent a lot of time behind the camera and not in front of the camera. But I would say that he is a, uh, an incredible designer. He's a gay man who lives in Hollywood, California. And if we talked about the shows, the movies, the projects that he worked on, you would know them. And he is a known entity in Hollywood and spent a lot of time hanging out with a lot of celebrities, going to the Oscars, the Grammys, the Emmys, going to private parties in Prince's backyard, swimming in Paris Hilton's pool, hanging out with uh, Kanye West. And he is a huge entity when it comes to Hollywood. And a little over 10 years ago, he made his way into a coffee shop in Hollywood. And there he saw a group of young men with their Bibles open, which he says in his whole adult life in Hollywood, he has never seen a Bible in Hollywood out in public. And there these, these guys are out there studying the Bible and he has um, just on a whim, an interest to go talk to these guys and say, hey, what, what are you guys doing? What is it that you guys believe? And about an hour into the conversation, he says, you know, I'm a gay man, and I want to know what that book has to say about me. So what's your answer? What do you say to Beckett Cook? Well, today we're talking about broken sexuality. We're talking about homosexuality. We're talking about all things regarding sexual sin. And so today I want to remind you that as we dive into this, this week and last week really go together. I want to remind you that as we talked about last week, we're going to try to use, I'm going to try to use more ands as opposed to ors. That I am striving to deal with this biblically and lovingly. That I want to do this talk with sensitivity and logically. And I want to address these issues with humility and boldness. Because often in the debates around sexuality, what the Bible says is assumed and not studied. And today, I don't want to assume anything. I want to study. And so let me ask you this. When it comes to the Bible, when it comes to homosexuality, how many times do you think the Bible directly speaks to homosexuality? Is it 50 times? 100 times? Six times. Six times. And for many people, they think it's, it's far greater than that. Do you know how many times the Bible talks about money? Way more than that. And the way that Christians talk about homosexuality, you would think that homosexuality would show up more than how many times the Bible talks about money. And when it comes to this issue, there seems to be a lot of heat and not a lot of light. And so today, when we talk about sexuality, broken sexuality, sexual sin, and homosexuality, I want to go back to the beginning and see what God actually says. So if you have your Bibles, go to Genesis chapter 1. And before you do that, I want to let you know that if you think by any means I have missed the mark, email me. 
any questions about transgenderism, any questions about homosexuality, if you think as I deal with this topic that, hey, Tim, I think you missed the mark, please email me. If you have a rant, type it up, wait 24 hours, and then delete it. But seriously, if there really are questions, I want to know because you matter to me. Every single person who calls Bridgewater home matters to God and matters to me, and I would love to hear from you, all right? So I know that I might not always get it right when it comes to grace and truth. Be patient with me. I'm working on dealing with this as much as I can with grace and truth, all right? So let's go to Genesis chapter 1. Start reading in verse 27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. Then God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So at the very beginning, God says, okay, there's man and there's woman, and I'm bringing you together to be in a marriage, to be in a marriage relationship, and here's what I want you to do. Be fruitful. Have some kids. Increase in number. So at the beginning, in the beginning, God starts off, and he begins by talking about sex. And he says, sex is a gift from God. Starts with Adam and Eve. Here you are, one man, one woman, be together. You guys are married. Go and have some kids. Fill up the earth. That's the reality that we have. That sex really is a good thing. It's not taboo. And this is something that God has ordained and created but I want to take a look at the details of this. Check out Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, <laughs> there was no suitable helper. Whew, right? So here's, here's Adam. He's not married yet, but we're getting into the details. He knows that it's not good for him to be alone. God knows that he needs help. And by the way, who is it that needs help? Is it the helper or the guy? It's the guy. All right. So all these animals come out. He looks at the animals. And I don't know how Adam did this. I don't know how this all went down. I don't know if he had like a full-on interview with these animals to figure out like, okay, what are you? Or if he's just sitting there going like, lamb, Bear, lion, giraffe. I don't know how all this happened. And, and I don't even know. But what we do know is he looked at all these animals and he's like, none of these are going to be a good helper. Right? They're just coming by and he's like, nope, nope, definitely nope. Not a chance. Right? And then he realizes like, okay, there are no animals that can be that suitable helper for me. So what does God do? 
Verse 21. So Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with the flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man, and he said, Now this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. But notice it says, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. He's singing about her. He sees her and he goes, you, you are bone of my bones. You are flesh of my flesh. You were made for me and I was made for you. He sees her. I imagine his face is lighting up. He's excited. He's in love with her. He's like, yes, this is a helper. And he is so excited. At this point, he's ecstatic over what God has just given him. It's clear. Adam needed a helper and God knew exactly what to do. Verse 24. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united with his wife. They become one flesh. He's, he's giving future instructions for marriage. One man one woman together. Verse 25, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. He's excited. I belong to you. You belong to me. And there they are, no clothes on. They are not feeling or experiencing any shame, no fear, no worries. They just know this is the way that God has designed it. Sex is a gift from God with parameters determined by the designer. Remember in week one of this series, we began talking about this idea of a worldview, like a lens that we would put on, we would see everything through, that God is our source for life and God's word is our authority for life. And when we see everything through that lens, that's our worldview. He is our designer. God is the one that made it. But with that comes parameters. One man and one woman. There's another parameter within the bonds of marriage. That God has set up these parameters for this relationship, for this marriage. And anything outside of that is not good. And we have this, this hookup culture where you want to meet somebody, you want to go on a date, you load up Tinder, so I'm told, and you find somebody attractive and you swipe. I don't know if it's left or right, but if you know, please don't shout it out because then we'll point you out. But we have this hookup culture of, of I want to meet somebody, I want to be with you, and then I'm done with you and I move on to the next person. But God's word is really clear. Any sexual activity outside of God's parameters is sin. Anything, when we go outside of those parameters, is sin. So when you're sleeping with your boyfriend or your girlfriend, sin. You're married and you're sleeping with someone who is not your spouse, sin. Looking at pornography, sin. I'll even throw in romance novels. Imagining lusting after a story that is not really happening, 
anything outside of God's parameters sexually is sin. I'm not going to highlight one sin over another. I think our culture already does that. I think Christianity already does that. We don't see that in God's word. Now, I will say that there are different consequences for different sins. The consequences of telling a white lie are drastically different from cheating on your spouse. But when God's word says, this is the line, this is sin, here is what holiness is, anything outside of that is wrong, sinful. Seems like when someone struggles with a sin, other than what they struggle with, they want to highlight that. They want to make that the bigger issue. But here's the reality. Each and every one of us has sins, struggles, and issues that we all are wrestling with. But I want to take a look at what Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 1. First Timothy chapter 1, Paul is writing to this young pastor named Timothy. He's been discipling him, helping him understand what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus and a pastor? How do you shepherd this church really, really well? And here's what Paul says to Timothy. Verse 9, he says, We also know that the law is made not for the righteous, but for the lawbreakers and rebels, the ungodly and sinful the unholy and irreligious, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers, for the sexually immoral, for those practicing homosexuality, for slave traders and liars and perjurers, and for whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. Paul is telling Timothy, hey, the reason the law exists is to show us, to show me, that I have a need for a savior. And here is God's perfect law. It's holy, it's righteous. And when I fall short of that, it shows me, it shows us, we have a need for a savior. But as you take a look at this list, sexually immoral, that's just a junk drawer term for all sexual sin outside of marriage homosexuality, slave traders, liars, people who lie under oath. or And then he's like, okay, if there's anything else, right? If I forgot anything else against God's word, when you look at that list, which one of those do you want to say, that's not for today? Is it people lying under oath? The liars? The slave traders? Which one do you want to say isn't for today? Paul is talking to all of us, saying any sexual sin outside of marriage is wrong. You might hear something different culturally, but here's what I want to say to you. No matter who you are, no matter what your sexual orientation, no matter what's going on in your life, God sees you, he knows you, he loves you, and he cares about you. In fact, he cares about you too much to let you stay the way you are, and he is pursuing you. He wants a deep and meaningful relationship with each of us. So here's the big idea. We all have broken sexuality, but the question is, can you identify where it is for you?
Right? All of us have some kind of broken sexuality, but can you identify where it is for each and every one of us? Can I identify it for me? I'm confident that we have folks here that are struggling, not just with sexual sin, but same-sex attraction. Some are living in it, and it's secretly hidden from everybody. They live in fear, worry of what people will think. Some are more open about it. Some are secretly dabbling in homosexuality. And some are not, and they're living and sleeping with someone who's not their spouse. God's word has hope for each and every single one of us. And I'll not, I will not affirm sexual activity outside of the prescribed parameters in God's word, but I will value you, I will hear you, and as a person made in the image of God, I will defend you. I'm not gonna stand by and let someone mock you or bully you or shame you. Every single person, no matter their struggle, no matter their sexual orientation, is welcome here. You're made in the image of God. You're made to reflect the creator of the universe. So I'll care for you regardless of what is happening in your life, whatever kind of brokenness is going on there. But notice what Paul says in verse 10. For the sexually immoral, for those practicing homosexuality, he's talking about voluntary, mutual, men sleeping with men. He's drawing a distinction. He's making a distinction between someone who is attracted to the same sex and someone who is actually acting on that. But again, out of that list, which one do we want to say is not for today? God's instructions differentiate between action and attraction. Say, what do you mean by attraction, Tim? By attraction, I mean that there are some that feel like they are drawn towards those of the same sex just like you might be drawn towards those of the opposite sex. Sam Alberry is a pastor in the UK. He is same-sex attracted. And he would say that he's been same-sex attracted his whole life. And by that, he means sexual, romantic, and deep emotional attractions to people of the same sex. And he describes himself this way because sexuality is not a part of his identity. And in his book, Is God Anti-Gay? He says it's not unchristian to experience same-sex attraction any more than it is unchristian to get sick. You can hear it in my voice. This week I've been sick. What marks us out as Christians is not that we never experience such things, but how we respond to them when we do. Sam Albury is a pastor and he would say, my whole life I've been struggling, I've been attracted to men. And when he came to know Christ, God's word began to reveal some things to himself. And he decided that that was God's word and it was truth and it was authoritative and it was inerrant. And he said, you know what? I'm going to live my life by that. And he's chosen to be single to abstain from any sexual relationship. And he serves as a pastor, recognizing those are desires 
And to that, I can say I know what that's like to have desires in my life that I wish weren't there. I know what it's like to have desires that I wish would, would go away, that I know are contrary to what God's word says. To that, I know what it's like to give in to temptation, to know there are things that I, I do that I know that I shouldn't do. And to that, I know what it's like to struggle, to have that battle going on inside of me. So temptation in and of itself is not sinful. But when we, when we think on those things, when we indulge on those things, Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, when you start thinking on those things, more than you should, you're indulging in that, then it becomes sinful. But I want you to hear this. There's a difference between saying, I have a propensity towards this and I'm going to stay away and work on fighting this. There's a difference between that and saying, I have a propensity towards this and I'm just diving right in. To the person who feels overly burdened, by homosexual desires, same-sex attraction. You and I, we're in the same predicament. We know what it is to have desires that we wish we didn't. Me too. But I want you to know that God has resources for you to fight against those desires. Choosing to act on those desires is different. So we have three choices one, we can accept what the Bible says. Number two, we can try to reinterpret what the Bible says. Or three, we can ignore what the Bible says. Here at Bridgewater, we take number one. We accept this is what God's word says. It is inerrant, it is authoritative, it is truthful. And then people who take number two, they, they say, well, you don't really understand what's happening in that city or what's happening in that culture, and they have some creative ways of reinterpreting it, and I would say that is simply not accurate. Those who take number three to say, yeah, that's exactly what God's Word says. That's exactly what the Bible says, but that's outdated. That's not for me. I actually have more respect for those who take number three and say, yeah, that's exactly what the Bible says, but I don't believe it. And so we have to choose. Which one of those am I going to take as my worldview? Homosexual activity is not an act to be celebrated, but a sin to be forgiven. The Bible condones, <clears throat> condemns, sorry, all sexual activity outside of marriage between a husband and a wife, every single form of it. If you're here and you breathe a sigh of relief because same-sex attraction is not your struggle, but you're sleeping with your girlfriend or you're sleeping with someone who's not your spouse or you're looking at pornography, I would say God's word has instructions for you too. Because all sin outside of those parameters is sinful. Those desires, they might not change. They might not go away. But God's word has help for you. And there's grace. Look at his grace. Let me show you 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. <clears throat> or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. 
Neither the sexually immoral, right? There's that junk drawer, all sexual sin inside of, outside of marriage, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, verse 10, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God, verse 11. And that is what some of you were. Paul is talking to a group of followers of Jesus in Corinth. Corinth is this really messed up culture where it's a melting pot of cultures. People are coming from all over the world. It's a trade center and all sorts of religions and sins are going on there. And so these people come out of these lifestyles. And again, which one of those lists or items do we want to say is not really for today? The idolaters, adulterers, Thieves, greedy, drunkards, slanderers, swindlers, homosexuals. Like which ones do we want to say is not for today? And there's people that came out of that lifestyle. Jesus rushed into their life, radically transformed it. And Paul says, that's who you were. Past tense. That's no longer your identity. And when Jesus died on the cross... He paid for all of those sins. And when you ask Jesus to be your forgiver and leader of your life, he took care of all of that. And here's what he did. Past tense. He did it to you. You were washed. Who did that? Jesus did it. You were sanctified. Who did that? Jesus did that. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Jesus came into your life and you are washed clean and you appear righteous before the throne room. And if you're a follower of Jesus, God looks at you and the only thing that he sees is the perfect record of Jesus. You were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified. You have a new identity. That's not who you were. It's not who you are anymore, right? This word is past tense. God has radically changed your life. It's not your identity anymore. Because God's grace is for all brokenness. It's for all brokenness, including every form of sexual brokenness. I know some of you have struggled you struggled silently, you've wept, you've hid, you feel broken and defeated. And I want you to know that God's grace is for you. Jesus is for you. So to the church, to us, let's stop treating people with certain struggles like it's actually a threat. They're not issues they're actually people who image and reflect the creator of the universe. All of us are in need of grace. For those of you who experience any type of sexual sin or sexual temptation, including same-sex attraction, Jesus is for you. Jesus loves you. And he loves you too much to let you stay there. And I want to call all of us to approach people with compassion. 
That we would see people as they struggle, as they wrestle with issues that seem different from ours as people who bear the image of God. That we would have compassion. We would love them. So how do I treat my gay neighbor? How do I treat my, go- my gay coworker or my friend or my relative? First, start with being a friend. Actually get involved in their world. Do things with them. Invite yourself into their world. That doesn't mean you have to go to a pride parade, but be their friend. Get in their world. And listen, hear their story. Ask them questions. Feel compassion. Really love them for who they are. I'll tell you what. You're not going to win your enemies to Christ. You're going to win your friends. Be their friend. Befriend them. Help them. Pray with them. Pray for them. They're not issues. They're not projects. They're actually people made in the image of God regardless of their sexual orientation or their sexual sins. What do I do? What do you do if you're the one who's actually struggling with sexual temptation? Here's what 1 Corinthians 10.13 says. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. Meaning your temptation, your struggle, your trials, your difficulties. You're not being singled out right now because you have different desires and attractions or temptations. God is faithful. I know some of you feel like you've prayed over and over and over again. And I'll tell you, as I read, as I listened, as I tried to learn more about homosexuality, I came across a lot of people, many people who said, this wasn't something I wanted. In fact, I prayed for years, if not decades, God, please change me. God, let me wake up tomorrow. Let me wake up tomorrow and be attracted to the opposite sex. And maybe you're praying and you've been praying about some struggles that you have had. You wonder, is God actually hearing me? And I'll say, God is actually faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out. But there's a way out. No matter what the temptation is, no matter what the struggle is, so you can endure it. You can literally stand up underneath it. You're not being singled out. God is faithful. There's a way to escape it. And you can endure it. That there is hope. No matter who you are, no matter what your struggle is. But if someone has same-sex attraction, what is the solution relationally? Well, I would say first they can choose to fully embrace being gay. That's a solution. Number two, they can choose to be single for the rest of their lives and abstain from any sexual relationship. Number three, they could get involved in a heterosexual marriage. That's a risky move. Because if you came to me, a guy and a girl came to me for premarital counseling and I found out they weren't attracted to each other, I would say, oh, let's pump the brakes. You're not attracted to them? Mm, I'm not sure you should get married. Proceed with caution relationally, what's the solution? There's no easy solution. For someone inside, they feel deeply drawn to the same sex. What do they do? 
There's no great options. But we must be a safe place for all people, those who are sexually broken. If we don't welcome them, if they don't find a place here, they will find a place somewhere else. Let's be that place. But I want to let you know the goal is not heterosexuality. The goal is holiness. It's handling your sexuality in a way that honors God. Let me show you this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Paul, writing to this church in Thessalonica, he says, it is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should what? Learn. All of us should learn to control our own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in a passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. The goal is not to get you to become a heterosexual. The goal is holy sexuality. That's the goal. The love of God is huge. The goal is not to get a gay person to become straight. The goal is for every single person to pursue holiness, holy sexuality. The love of God is huge. The gospel is powerful. Lean into God. Lean into the gospel because he loves you where you're at, but he loves you too much to let you stay there. I don't know exactly what those guys said to Beckett Cook in that coffee shop, but I know this. They spoke with truth and grace. That conversation was filled with truth and grace. And as they talked, I know that Beckett Cook walked out knowing two things. One, he knew that the Bible didn't approve of what he was doing. They told the truth. Number two, he walked out saying, I like those guys. They like me. They invited me to church. I think I'm going to go. It's an amazing church. And I'll let him tell the story. Here's what Beckett Cook says. I walked into the church, a gay atheist, and walked out two hours later, a born-again Christian in love with Jesus. Then he said, I no longer identify as a gay, but choose to be celibate because I believe God's plan and purpose revealed in the Bible is authoritative, truth, and good. What's interesting is, is the way that he describes it. He says, I still have same-sex attraction, and it is my cross to carry. You know, Jesus says, if you want to follow him, you'll have a cross to carry. Beckett says, that same-sex attraction is his cross to carry. Some of you are single and you want somebody in your life. And for this season, for this time, that might be your cross to carry. You might be divorced and single again. You might be single in your 20s, your 30s, your 40s, your 50s, and you might be desiring the intimacy that your friends have and you don't have that. And that might be your 
cross to carry. Can't participate in the sexual intimacy that your friends are. That may be your sexual cross to carry. But here's what we need to be. We need to be more like a doctor's office instead of a job interview. When you go to a doctor's office, you tell them, hey, here's what I'm struggling with. Here's what hurts. Here's what doesn't feel good. Here's what's going on. And the doctor or the nurse, they ask you questions. And you tell the truth because you trust that the doctor cares about you. That they'll have a solution for you. But you know when you go to a job interview, you hide the worst parts of you. And you say, here's all the good things about me. And we must be more like a doctor's office. Where we come to a place and go, yeah, me too. I'm also hurting. I'm also struggling. I'm also wrestling with something. Let's create an environment in our homes, in our friendships, in our church that's more like a doctor's office. We're not an HR department trying to figure out what's wrong with you. We want to be there for you. We want to help you. I want to be a church that's hard to hate because how we love those that we disagree with. Let's be hard to hate because of how we love. And remember, the goal is holy sexuality. That's the goal. If you're here today and you're struggling and you're going, I don't know what to do. As we sing this last song, I want to encourage you to find somebody in the back to pray with you. If God's word struck a chord with you, and you feel like the Holy Spirit is pricking you, tugging on you, don't ignore that. Let me pray. God, you are incredible. You are amazing. And we know that you love us too much to let us stay the way we are. You desire a deep and meaningful relationship with us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.